Uh, welcome to the latest episode of the Love Sport Podcast. Paul, John and Pete with you this afternoon, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to us. And uh, we're going to focus on the, the world game tonight and also umpiring, especially in the AFL. It's really, really got people pretty annoyed at the moment, whether it's the umpires or the rules that they're being uh, put upon. This is the Love Sport Podcast. Guys, welcome to the Love Sport Podcast as normal. Tonight, we're going to focus a bit on the world game and uh, very much on umpires and referees and so forth as well. And the AFL has really brought umpiring into the uh, spotlights. We'll come to that in a moment. But guys, been a, uh, a few days of exceptional football and some strange football. Um, and we'll start with the Premier League and um, just your thoughts on, on a few games over the last few days. Well, I think that uh, I, I don't remember seeing so many deflected goals as I've seen in the last few days. I think that there's been a number of uh, long-range hits, kind of hopeful chances on goals that have just bounced off defenders. It's quite an interesting situation at the moment. I feel that um, uh, the mood really went down for me when it was officially confirmed that Derby County were being relegated into uh, League One. Um, but the spirits were raised pretty much in the um, in the great discussion uh, at the front of the training ground with Wayne Rooney and uh, the players uh, chatting to a number of the fans and spectators about you know how proud of uh, they are of this season of what they achieved that's what they've actually been um, yep. and I actually really enjoyed watching the scenes at uh, at Fulham um, the ultimate yo-yo club who. Keep going. Championship Premier League, Championship Premier League, Championship Premier League. And uh, now they've got themselves promoted again for next season. But magical scenes at Craven Cottage um, when the crowd basically ran onto the pitch and uh, really celebrated with everyone together. You think it's a battle between them and Norwich on the Ultimate Yo-Yo team? Because I think Norwich would have a fair, a fair say on that. Yeah, Norwich are good as being one of those Yo-Yos. But uh, I think that... Nothing can take away from what Fulham's done in the last six years, where they've quite literally bounced between the two in the last six. Craven Cottage they used, to be, used to be Sunderland. Yeah. Craven, uh, Craven Cottage is starting to look quite nice. Beautiful. Absolutely stunning. What a absolute historic field. What a great venue for football. I, I personally, I really can't wait to be able to see it being used again. Um, for Premier League games. And one of my favourite things is always uh, the aerial shot uh, and footage before a game um, of what the stadium looks like and the drones up in the sky and that kind of stuff. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing the footage on uh, on night games and evening games out at uh, Craven Cottage. Look, absolutely. And uh, look, let's, um, let's just reflect on, on what a season it's been because as we know, well, you might not know, Pete, um, but John and I know what it's like for your team to be in the championship. It's one of the biggest grinds you'll ever imagine. Um, it's 48 games, is it, I think? You play... 46. 46, 46, sorry. Yep, 46 games. So with four games to go, Fulham's already um, back in the Premier League. Um, more than likely joined, joined by Bournemouth, who've four points clear with a couple games in hand. And then, oh my God, some of the teams that could potentially still get there. Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United, the old Hatters. We could have a really, we could have a nice little fairy tale back in the Premier League. 
Mate, Luton Town could be um, in the Premier League and their budget is uh, lower than most League One teams. So Luton Town could be the uh, the surprise package. Like They're fourth on the table as it stands. So they could definitely surprise a few people on well, the way. With exchange rates, certainly they, you know, selling a plastic pitch back in the days, they should have made a few dollars recycling. <laughs> That's pretty good. So what, what else we got there, guys? We, the, should we talk about Manchester United and Liverpool? Is it even a rivalry anymore? <laughs> is it a rivalry? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, look, it is the modern rivalry. It's it's uh, I, I'm trying to work out what the heck we could call this rivalry or this uh, this derby type of a game because uh, we've I've obviously got one for got... you, Pete. I got one for you. Better off red. Yep. Um, I don't think the city fans are going to be too happy with that one. Um, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, don't mind it. I, I think I think we should keep workshopping this. Um, if anyone's, oh God. Uh, look, if anyone has any uh, good suggestions of what we should name this derby, uh, feel, please feel free to um, add your comment into the Facebook group, the Love Sport Podcast Facebook group, and uh, check that out because, yeah, it, it's it's a derby without there being a battle. It's, it's definitely not a United-Arsenal battle of the 90s kind of style. It's... Uh, it's a friendly derby, if anything. It's just weird. It's well, very strange. We were talking about stats last uh, last week, guys, but this is a game this, where the stats did not lie. Let's just have a look. In 90 minutes, Liverpool had 818 accurate passes, and for 90 minutes, Manchester United had 260. 260 passes in 90 minutes. I think I said to you guys on the morning of that game that I literally couldn't believe how poorly Man United played. And and if, if you had to put the blinkers on me and said, you're watching Newcastle United at the very end of the Steve Bruce era, uh, I would have said, wow, did we look that bad? Because well, they looked awful. Mate, it, just I have to say this about stats. Man United had 83 passes in Liverpool's half. Oh, sorry, going, going forward into, you know, 83 passes going forward for the whole match. That, that, that's unbelievable. That, that's Do you think that it's a product of the player, uh, that the players have literally heard the message that there's an, another new boss coming in, they're getting paid, and they have literally just put the kill. I couldn't believe when Pogba came off. Would, I just would, was like... If somebody shows something at this club that looks like fight for one of the greatest sporting institutions on the planet. Aren't you playing for your whole career? Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't you be inspired to play even harder? What's well, interesting, because the, the way that Vanderbeek came out of Man U and turned up at Everton, it's like no one's even training there. No, no. Look, it's... I mean... It's the worst Man United side I can remember. Um, this is—I don't know how they come back from this. They've thrown money at it. They've—they've they've had a number of coaches. You're the coach, Pete. How do they go forward? How does United go forward? It's Absolutely. very quick. It's—it's it's 
quite easy in or it's not easy it's quite an easy answer to say but it's going to be a long-term project to do is to actually find a clear identity and work out what they want to be as a football team not a commercial organization and not a global footballing brand but an actual football team that goes out in the park each week Um, and I think it's it was super interesting watching uh, Gus Hiddick in a pre-game chat um, over in the um, over in the Netherlands the other week, where he kind of just said to Eric Ten Hag, uh, who is set to become the new head coach of Manchester United within the next 24 hours, from what we believe, um, he basically just uh, said, um, "Go for it! Absolutely, go for it! Worst case, go for it! Have fun!" And um, it's good advice from Gus Hiddick. Obviously, he's a guy who's got, you know, arguably one of the great coaches in world football, plenty of experience wherever he's gone. And he's always just accepted a job based on the fact that it's a good challenge and it's an opportunity to kind of learn. So Eric Ten Hag, uh, he has been incredibly successful with Ajax in recent years. He knows how to really develop a, a football philosophy. He knows how to get the best out of a number of players. Um, it's, he knows how to kind of deal with plenty of situations, whether it's uh, player issues, whether it's being able to shift formations during games and what whatnot. But the, the challenge really is going to be how he cleans up this club and then what the reaction is going to be. Because from all reports, there's anywhere between 6 to 12 players who are set to leave at the end of this season from Manchester United squad. And if you're going to lose all of your older players, there's a whole gap that needs to get filled very, very quickly by a lot of quality youngsters. And I don't think that Manchester United uh, are willing to put in the time, the effort and the patience to wait to see these players develop. And, And then you've got a club like Newcastle, no matter what anyone says, and a really good game today with Crystal Palace. I thought that was a really even game. Six wins in a row at home for Newcastle. It's just been an amazing effort. But Newcastle has a few things in their favour that I think they could push them ahead of Manchester United in a rebuild. Is A, the money is an obvious factor. B, is the, the attraction. Um, I know that everyone says Man U is an attraction, but it's also a pressure. Imagine the attraction of going to a billionaire club that has some of the best support in the world and some of the loudest support in the world and building a project in kind of like Manchester City in a way. Like they're not Manchester City, but they have the ability to go from right down to right up pretty quickly. They do. And the thing is, it has to be done the right way. And it has to be done in, in a positive way. And the thing is, with Manchester United, there's always going to be pressure and you need to get results. That's, that's obvious. Like, uh, talk about an impatient... Uh, supporter group and an impatient uh, technical staff in a way. You need results and you don't really have time to to play around and try and do different things. But um, there there does need to be a clean-up. There does need to be a lot of rejigging for this Manchester United squad. And I don't know. Like, John, who would be some of the people on your wish list or some of the people that you think that United would probably be letting go uh, at this moment, like uh, we, we think about the obvious ones in a way: Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Phil Jones, Anthony Martial, potentially even a Marcus Rashford could leave. 
Um, is there anyone that stands out that you go, no, nah, I'd be keeping them? It's an interesting um, discussion about what Newcastle needs and wants. And I think if you look at the that our squad, a lot of, I mean, there's been a lot of noise made about, oh my God, Newcastle spent so much money during the, the um, Christmas transfer window. It's the first time we've spent any money in that window for like 12 years. Yep. Um, everyone else has been, and also we spent barely a thing for five years, which is why we were travelling so far south so quickly. But um, I like our midfield, and I think that I said to you guys this morning, I think that uh, Bruno Gimaresh is uh, is a possible transformational player for the club. He was fabulous um, this morning as well. His ability to nip in and get the ball, but be creative and be at both ends of the pitch. And the guy can score and he can defend and he can lead and he inspires everyone around him. And he reminds me a bit of Kieran Trippier. In that he's on the field, we grow. Um, I'm probably looking at one really good centre half as to have some depth. I quite like the idea of target on the on the left-hand side. You can, and, do better, you can do better than that going forward, mate. Target's a squad player. But you have to remember that uh, part of the idea of building incrementally is to not go out and bring in all these players from around the world and throw them in a dressing room. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, that's- and so I think we need a goal scorer um, to support. Like if Callum Wilson's never fit, I think that's where they're going to focus some money. So a guy like Rashford would be good. Why not? Because um, you can I, do better. You can do better than that with the money, and you're going to expect better than that with the money you've got going forward. I'm still remembering the 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 way things have been, and also, you know, I, it was um, who said it? Somebody said it. Is that the people who are? It might have been Martin O'Neill. Who said the people who are advising the Newcastle owners are doing an amazing job. And I think that there's a type, rather than a name of player, and I think this goes back to what Pete was saying, I think you want to build your, your club around a type of player. Yeah, agreed. And you want a type of player. Now, I, I don't want a wallflower coming in, prima donna, no one will talk. He's worth, he's worth $5 billion, but everyone thinks he's a twat. I don't care. Like, I mean, I, I watched Pogba this morning and I thought, I wouldn't give you one cent for have that guy at my club. I don't want him near my team, my team or my teammates talking to him. You know what I mean? Oh, he's about oh. to go to Real Madrid or to um, Inter Milan, so don't well, stress. He's, uh, no, he's no, not going to put on a Newcastle shirt, that's for sure. But he's on that roundabout, isn't he? Where they, yep. they just recycle those guys around and everybody says, oh, my God, he's so amazing. But you know what? It's a litany. Of, he's been, I think he's been poor at Man United for years. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, guys, have a look at other results today. Arsenal do the yo-yo thing again. And in quite a good game, they beat Chelsea 4-2. And we know the turmoil Chelsea's under at the moment. It's eventually got to play its part. I, I don't think Chelsea were as bad as the 4-2 scoreline suggests. But Arsenal, again, keep themselves in the hunt. Um, that was a fun game to watch. Absolutely was. Arsenal put on uh, a bit of a show at times. They created plenty of goal-scoring opportunities and really did terrorise the Chelsea defence. I I thought that um, Eddie Nketiah had a sensational game up top. and um, best game he's played for Arsenal, I reckon. Mikel Arteta actually said in the post-game interview that 
no offense, he didn't actually realize that Enkedia was so good up top at times, and that he kind of felt that um, Enkedia has almost become a, a, a new signing because he'd been waiting in the wings for so long that um, everyone was focused on Bakayo Saka and Alexander Lacazette, uh, that Enkedia is just this breath of fresh air. But how exciting it is for Arsenal fans that. Their three youngsters are the ones who end up scoring the goals, and, and you've even got the the young captain um, in Martin Odengard, who ends up being kind of the leaders of this squad. This is a really exciting thing from what Mikel Adera is doing at, at Arsenal at the moment. The the energy around this crew is really something special, and what Emil Smith Rowe can produce, that's exactly what Chelsea will be hoping that the likes of um, Conor Gallagher will be able to do. Um, wearing a, a Chelsea shirt next season. Yeah, you talk about guys I'd like to get. I would love to buy Emil Smith Rowe right now. Oh, absolutely! I would take him in a heartbeat. Likewise, Bukayo Saka. Oh yeah, in a well, heartbeat. We went very hard at actually getting Smith Rowe. I think we offered twenty-five to thirty million, and Arsenal didn't even blink at it. And that was before he was a regular in the team. He'd started dropping out, if you remember, last year. He'd been on the fringe, but he's playing so well now. And this is what we talk about with Arsenal. I suppose I could be hypocritical here and say about their inconsistency, but they are really young. And I'd rather be, honestly, I'm really jealous and envious of what Arsenal do with young players over the past few decades because they always bring a a few good young players through. They're special at that. And it's a magical thing, the fact that they're able to do this on such a consistent basis and be able to perform at such a top level. So, yeah, this is a, a truly special time, the fact that we get to witness this. Um, unfortunately, go on. I was just about to say another funny penalty as well. Two players grabbing each other. One goes to ground and it's a penalty. It's one of those where you, I think if you're both grabbing each other, it's almost play on. Yeah, pretty much agreed. I thought that um, uh, the penalty itself taken by Bakayo Saka was actually a fantastic strike. So so frequently at the moment we see, uh, you know, that stuttering run at the beginning, slow build-ups, which are frustrating. Um, because, But look, Bakayo Saka basically just, oh, uh, to be blunt, he absolutely just struck it into the back of the net like he really meant it. Well, mate, the other game, the guys, the other game, Everton Leicester, Everton keep coming at the death, don't they, with Richarlison with a deflected goal in right in extra, I think, two or three minutes in, two extra times. Less, less, lesser yeah. invited back into that game. They did. Correct. They were playing really well. They sat back on that lead for whatever reason. Um, and Everton do it again and give themselves that little bit of breathing room down the bottom. Um, they're four points ahead of Burnley um, on the same games now. So it's still they can still go down. But um, those couple of points they've got in the last few games, it's absolutely vital. So well done to Everton. And the crowd went ballistic. It's tiny little margins like that that keep you up and keep you going. If you look at the game against us where they scored in the one millionth minute and then that game there, and that's against two reasonable opponents who you would have thought would, could win at Goodison. Um, yep. that's a um, that's four massive points. And look, with a completely managerless and obviously right at the very top rudderless now Burnley outfit, I think that Burnley gifted them 
that uh, the not going down spot when they sack their coach. We we we've all said how just ridiculous that decision was. Hey, um, if you only looked at results this morning, you didn't watch the games, and, and you saw Man City beat Brighton three 0 you'd say, oh yeah, pretty standard. But it was a really tough game for City. I I don't think they looked. I think they looked quite disjointed like they had in quite a few games lately. And um, they did get away with a 3-0 win, but I thought it was really, wasn't a, it's going to be so silly to say a 3-0 win is not a great win, but they didn't play fantastic football. Well, no, because Brighton and Hove, they're fantastically solid in in defensive actions. They're good on transition. And and story of Graham Potter's season this year, last year, year before, pretty much most of Graham Potter's career, is a lack of a decent number nine who can score on a consistent basis. Uh, as good as, you know, Neil Morpé has been at times, uh, as good as Danny Welbeck has been incredibly sparingly, um, there's there's no one who is able to actually score on a consistent basis for Brighton. Um, like if you want to be a central defender and really grow in your game, definitely go to Brighton. If you want to be a central midfielder who can switch the play from one side of the field to the other. If you want to be a winger who can put in crosses, brilliant. Go to Brighton and learn how to play football. If you want to be a striker who wants to lose all their confidence and then score one in every 17 shots that you have on target, well, go to Brighton because that's (laughs) what their ratio is at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Guys, when we come back, um, look, normally... I'd, I'd say to you, well, let's talk a little bit of A-League. But I've got to say, I don't want to talk A-League this week. We'll talk about it ah, next skip week. Skip it. Skip I, it. I've, I've had a little bit of a gutful, and um, I don't want to be accused of being a bandwagon supporter. Still a member of my club, so you can piss off about that. But I just don't want to talk about it at the moment. We will in a week or two. But when we come back, I want you to really think about something that's on your nerves at the moment besides umpiring with sport. And... Um, I'll give you a few seconds to think about that and we'll come back after the break. Just a break in the podcast to let you know we would love your support. Thank you for listening to us. If you can give us a review on Spotify or on Apple, um, Google Play, whatever way you're listening to us, Anchor, it would really, really help. Um, And we really do appreciate you guys as loyal listeners. This is the Love Sport Podcast. Guys, welcome back. Shorter pod this week. We've all got things happening and uh, hopefully it's not a dreadful listen for you. We just touched on the Premier League and uh, just want to ask the guys before we get into umpiring and specifically the AFL stance on umpiring, is anything really annoying you about sport right now, guys? Is there something specifically that's on your nerves that you just want to get off your chest? Well, you sound like you've got a gripe to give straight away. So what's on your mind first? And then John and I can layer up upon that. Well, for me, it's a lack of respect for people who put their bums on on seats. It's floating fixtures. It's change fixes at last moment. It's games on in NRL and A-League at 5.30 or 6 o'clock at night when people who have kids have no ability after work to get them to a game. It's just the lack of respect for those who buy jerseys, who go to games, who put, you know, their bums on seats. Uh, Crappy food. The food, you know, I don't mean to be rude. Living in Queensland, unless it's the middle of winter, I don't want a pie and chips. I want real food. I want decent consideration to supporters. 
And you're just taking us for absolute bums, people. You know, a few hundred dollars on each membership for the different codes I spend. I'm talking to my kids right now, and I'm just I'm considering not buying any memberships of any teams next year at all. It's just lack of consideration. Don't send me a survey, and then I never hear from you about that survey. Start engaging with the people who love your game or you're going to lose the games. You're going to lose the supporters, and I don't know what you're going to do from there. That's that's my gripe. Hey, you make a good point, especially about the surveys and never actually hearing any feedback uh, afterwards or you know what's been fixed or what the, the outcome of these surveys are. Uh, I, I've not really had uh, positive experiences on a lot of those myself. What about yourself, John? What's, uh, what's your gripe or what's things that are on your nerve at the moment? It, look, it's probably shared by a lot of people and some people will say that, no, I'm being an idiot, but I really despise the constant virtue signalling that's coming through in all the sporting codes. And I have to say that, you know, as a person who, let's just take one thing. Oh, look, I hate themed rounds. But anyway, um, when, when I know exactly when Denise started to be taken in... NFL, because I watched it. I watched it every week. I saw it develop. The only people in world sport who are still taking knees is in the Premier League. I think that we need to actually be able to say, okay, have we made our point? Can we just play some football? Fans are not, but they're not, they're not doing anything. In fact, everyone is just glazed over it. So, and I feel every week the commentator, whatever game it's on, has to come up with something new, neat to say about it every time, and more bored by it. Actual fact, I sometimes I'm just waiting for someone to take a knee and do their knee while they're doing it. That'd be <laughs> awesome. That would be me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the someone on the bench or something. But um, yeah, I just I'm so sick of it. I just want to have people have always gone to sport to get away from politics and, and and okay, maybe once in a while someone says something, everyone goes, oh my god, yeah, but. Seems that every game in every sport, regardless of the size of the crowd or the size of their audience or the capacity of the player to deliver an intelligent message, we have to have something said all the time. Yeah, that's, cool. that's, that's a really cool. What about yourself, uh, Patino? I will give two. My first one is just constant little pet hate, the fact that we still don't have a pause or rewind button readily available on Paramount Plus whenever watching A-League games. It's just, I don't understand how we have a streaming service where you still don't have a pause or rewind button. It just blows my mind. Um, So, yeah, please. Sort your shit out, please, Paramount Plus. Um, just get it done. It should not be that hard. It's been more than half of a season. We're close to finals football. A pause button or a rewind button for finals football would be nice. Um, and then a second one, which I'll uh, bring up, which basically feeds off uh, really a bit of both of yours, is the fact that I feel that in sport at the moment, no matter what sport it is, there is such a huge drive to try and get new spectators down to games and get new participants to get involved that there is such a lack of care and respect for current fans or current members or current um, Mm. participants that the fact that, yes, 
I've been here for a while and yes, I'm still here. It would be nice to get acknowledged in some form, capacity, receive some form of benefit, recognition, something would be lovely rather than the constant, hey, bring a friend for free, do this for free. Hey, if you're a new person, you get this and this and this. Well, yep, I've been here for 10 years, mate, and uh, I've done my service. Not asking for a great deal, but it would be nice to just get some recognition from time and a bit of respect towards fans who have put in years of love and dedication and service. That's a great call. And we saw it with AFL clubs this year doing uh, two-for-one new members deals and stuff like that for certain clubs. I won't name them. They know who they are. And the other one, the Paramount one is so true, mate. The other day, for the first time in ages, I chucked on an A-League game that wasn't my team. I just wanted to watch one. And a goal had just been scored, and I couldn't go back to it. I was just like, what? Like, what? I can't. Okay, no problems. I'll just go watch something else. I couldn't even get it to rewind to where I wanted. Nope. Nope. I seriously was in shock and wondering why the hell I even bother. You can Uh, actually, you can draw a line between all three of those issues. And it comes down to, there's the old saying is familiarity breeds contempt. Yep. And, you know, remember during COVID, it was like, oh my God, I can't wait till the fans come back. Ever since the fans have come back, it's been nothing but complaints about the fans. <laughs> and, 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 and the numbers are down because people have got used to not going to games. People have got used to watching it at home and being with their family and not having to spend, you know, you take two or three kids to a game of football and you're looking at $100 of food or, and that's not an exaggeration. So you can spend that $100 and make it 30 or $40 at home and have nice takeaway or a barbecue. And, if we get to a certain point, we're not going to have people in the stands. And for a game like AFL, it looks pathetic when there's no one in the, in the stands. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that will come to my next point, guys. The one I really wanted to talk to you guys about tonight. And it's come to a head last week with just some of the most ridiculous AFL umpiring decisions and mandates I've ever seen. <laughs> and- yep. And they call it dissent, right? Do they even look ever at a dictionary word of dissent, right? It's a disagreement. Yes, you can. I mean, I'm an English major as well. We can go into it. I should be able to talk nicely, which a lot of players actually do, to a referee or an umpire or an official and say, mate, look, I don't agree with your decision. You know, fair enough. If I say, Pete, you're an effing idiot, that was the crappiest decision I've ever seen. I've got no problems with that being a 50-metre penalty or um, a card or whatever, it's, or, you know, a technical in basketball. But this, you cannot even be shown to disagree with an umpire. I know in from AFL, and you can talk about other sports, I know from AFL why they've done it is they're trying to get umpires respected at all levels of football, right? My argument is the AFL and... Uh, Excuse me if I'm wrong here. The AFL stands for what, guys? Uh, let, let, let's uh, have a quick Google here. AFL. How do we spell that again? Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, let me check here. Go on. It's the Australian Football League, right? Uh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it's that. It's not yep. Australian rules. It's, it's not I own every element from even though they think they do, they don't own every element from my kid kicking out in the street to 
me being a seven-year-old or whatever, still wearing an AFL footy jumper. It's the Australian Football League. They should be administering the highest level of the game, but they've got their fingers in every single pie where they make some stupid mandate, like don't even disagree with an umpire or it's 50 metres. And I'll let you guys talk about this in a second because my mind's just blowing up. (laughs) The guy who's administering these decisions is Brad Scott. John, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad Scott argued with umpires every single week. He was one of the best, man, one of the, uh, the Bruce brothers. So his whole career was built on being a really good, tough footballer, and he also argued with umpires. He was a hard man, and he was an attack dog. And he is telling people, you cannot disagree with any umpire ever. Well, he knows what he's looking for. Okay, well, you two get into it. Get, get into it. You can talk about referees, umpires, whatever you want. There's something stinking to high heaven from the official them in this regard. Uh, if you hear sirens in the background, that's Paul going back into Twitter jail, by the way, guys. So just be aware of that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so umpires and decision-making, John. Jeez, what a time to be alive, mate. Oh, look, I, I've got my own theory is that I actually think, especially at the highest levels, I think the biggest thing that's changed umpiring and refereeing is uh, video decision-making uh, input. Because I actually think it's emasculated um, referees and umpires in every sport. It's taken away their authority to actually make a decision. And you know that if you complain, someone's got to look at it upstairs anyway. Yeah. So I actually think that's the big deal. I, I believe that, look, simple thing. If you look at, you know, when they're trying to get every decision correct in any sport, let's go to the NRL when they brought in two referees, right? And they stood one guy back on the 10-metre line and one guy over the ruck. They worked out that the amount of mistakes the referees were making went up, you know, when they were doing their reviews. Yeah, yep. And then they went down. And um, I think that's sometimes simplicity is a good thing. You go to watch club, club sport, and I know we're all involved at different, at different places, levels of different sports. But I know if I go down the road and watch um, – go down and watch Corumban um, – Eagles rugby league men pay this weekend on Saturday and pay five bucks to get in. That there's going to be no real issue going, oh my God, I can't believe that referee was a joke. Yep. Because during the game, the team just gets on with it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a big part of it. Now, there's been a no dissent rule in cricket for a long time. Uh, you cannot say or do a thing to the, to the umpire if you, if you don't agree with the decision. And all it's done is actually, when we were playing uh, younger, you used to get on really well with umpires, but now you, you don't develop any relationship at all because a big part of the game was about banter between you and them. Oh, 100% agree. And umpires at all level. I know playing soccer in AFL and, and stuff like that. And guys, we've had a bit of feedback on calling soccer, soccer, but we cover all sports. So we call soccer to differentiate it. So people are getting upset about that. We're all massive fans if you listen to this, so we will still call it soccer to differentiate. On that note, can I say I honestly don't care about that. You know, we're using language all the time as a weapon when it comes to stuff like this. Now, if you grew up in Australia and you grew up in a household where everyone was playing four codes of football, right? Yep. The differentiation between all of them. Now, they don't call um, Australian rules AFL in Melbourne. No. All right? So... Um, it, it's it's a regional thing. Hey, hey, it was good enough for that to be the name that Johnny Warren called it and guys like that, guys that I love, like Chris Colantis or any of those blokes. 
um, my credentials on that area is fine. They told me it was called, that's what they were calling it. I'm going to live with that. So let's go back to umpires, officials, all this kind of stuff. And they're talking, I think you made the greatest point, John, is that we used to be able to talk to an umpire and say, mate, that decision was pretty off. And if a cricket umpire, for example, said to me, no, from where I was standing, the ball was straight. That was definitely going to hit the stumps. You kind of just left it and went, oh, that's what he saw. It's out. It's done. You know what I mean? In yeah. AFL, sorry, when I played Aussie Rules, I was too tired to argue with the umpires too much. If it was wrong, I had another 90 minutes, or even if it was the end of the game, you were absolutely shattered. So arguing with the umpires to know who my umpires were. Do you know what I mean? And, and that that's actually a good thing because it meant I didn't really care too much about their calls. Yeah, and they'll say something like, pull your head in. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in basketball, I can tell you now, basketball is more contentious with some of the fouls that get called um, over the years I've played and watched. Some of the decisions are unbelievable. And then you have to get used to that that umpire um, or that referee, sorry, because he might be calling charging fouls when the people are moving their feet nonstop or they're calling treble when someone else is taking four steps as they bounce. So you just have to get used to it, and you are definitely you are definitely going to get a tech if you push it too fast. You know, you get to you, you get used to that referee, and if you know he's not going to take whip, you just shut up. So, being officiated by the officials of the AFL and to be told you can't even put your hands out or you can't point at a screen is so far over the top that it's just got a lot of people angry this week. And why sports would want to be alienating their fans again, like. You, you said before, Pete, that um, I was in Twitter jail. I think it's up to about 200,000 people that have interacted with my tweet. And if you, you guys saw my tweet, it was absolutely innocuous, wasn't it? It was, it was pretty benign. I thought it was benign. It was just me saying, hey, if you want to get rid of your supporters, keep these decisions up. Well done. Well, Elon Musk might rescue you with his takeover. <laughs> um, so are you guys happy with the way – I mean, you said about – we talked briefly about VAR and bunkers and all that kind of thing in emasculating referees and umpires. We're further emasculating them now by saying, hey, our referees and, and so forth are too precious. Well, I have to think about this from a grassroots perspective. So yep. at a local level, there is on average a 20% turnover between referees from one season to the next season at a grassroots football level. So no matter whatever you get at the end of that season, pretty much think of it that 20% won't be there next season. So you're constantly trying to get more people involved um, every single year and you're hoping for the best that they're going to have a positive experience. Um, I've had... Plenty of players that I've coached previously who have refereed games in the morning, then come to like our games in the afternoon and I've gone, hey, how are your games today? And they've either gone, yep, we had really good experience. We've had a super negative experience or yeah, did fine. And it's awful the fact that people think that it must be socially acceptable to be yelling at an individual based on decisions that they're making. The way that I see it and the way that I coach a lot of the teams that I work with is 
yes, there are going to be mistakes in the game. We make mistakes as players. Referees will make mistakes during the game. So, you know what? If something's called and it's clear and obviously wrong, deal with it. And when there's a break in play, just go, hey, are you sure about that? And maybe just mention it to the ref quietly. Whether it be the halftime whistle, there's a break in play, there's an injured player or something like that. Mention it then and, and just try and see if you can bring it up. But apart from that, you kind of just have to deal with whatever the cards are that you get dealt. And whether it's right, it's wrong, whether you think you're in the right or that you think you, you were definitely in the wrong, you just kind of roll with it. And, and that's kind of my mindset because, to be blunt, I've never had a referee overturn something that they've gone, yep, you know what, I actually did make a mistake there. A lot of the referees that I know go, hey, I made a mistake there, so I'm going to make a mistake on the other side to try and even things up, which I think is the even worse decision to be able to make. Yep. Well, I think I you made pretty it. amazing. Can I note a little Sorry. anecdote about, with that because I know we're pressed for time, but like last year we were playing in a pretty big final and it was an open boys game against the, one of the highest-ranked schools in the state. And they scored a try on half-time of a guy who'd been replaced who was on the yellow card. Oh, so wow. I, I, I said to my guy, I said, don't say, just don't, just don't. I went out, I talked to the referee. I had a talk to the, to the coach of the other team. We got together and said, look, that can't stand because that, that's not just a mistake. That's an error in procedure and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they actually went and they took that try off the board. Wow. Given. And, and it was like, how do you approach people? Probably approach them the way you want to be approached. Yep. But you both have said exactly what I honestly wanted to summarise the whole thing. It's parents and coaches and fellow supporters that should be the police of how we treat referees and umpires, right? When I've, mm. co- I've always said to my teams, you can disagree with an umpire. If you start arguing or if you are rude to the umpire, I'm going to drag you. You are off, Right. And you can't do that, obviously, in soccer or football. But in games like AFL or basketball, where I can sub all the time, I did that. I had a contract with my players that if they were rude to the umpire or they were aggressive towards the umpire, they were taken off. Their parents knew it. They knew it. And the umpires really respected the teams I coached because our guys were polite to them. And don't tell me that doesn't make a subconscious difference when that uh, umpire comes and umpires us again. Anyway, that's just my thoughts. I don't think I need the AFL to tell me how to treat umpires or my kids how to treat umpires or my players. I think that's up to parents. I think that's up to fellow supporters. And I think it's up to coaches. And, and yeah, I think It shows what a good some... human being that people are and what their values are. And if they're going to be so disgraceful and to be rude to individuals and, and to belittle someone, then I, I personally don't want that type of toxicity around me. And I'll very happily just say, see you later. You're not welcome here. Whether it be the child and their parents is the one who's yelling it. I have previously just said, I have a huge support for the kid. However, the parent is the one that's causing the issue. So see you later. You won't be welcome back at the moment that's until true. you change your values. That is very, very cool. Guys, um, I'm going to let you both finish off the pod tonight. Um, any thoughts? I just want to say my own bit that Ponga going to Newcastle on $5 million, I had to laugh. I was staying at Newcastle on $5 million. I had to laugh at how small our sports are compared to the rest of the world <laughs> because all the newspapers and news articles and um, uh, stories are saying 
mega deal for Ponga, $5 million over five years. And then I, I did. I did have to laugh when you compare what Harland is going to get at Manchester City next year. <laughs> yeah, 400,000 pound a week. Uh, yeah, a week. Yeah. I think, I think it might yeah. even be close to the 500,000. And someone broke it down to what he gets paid per minute the other day. Um, and I'd love to do that again. But $500,000 per week is what, about 70000 per day, which is about 3000 per hour, which is, what's that? $200 per minute. Yeah, there was a stat on seconds as well that I saw. <laughs> I think he gets paid $33 a second. Yeah. It's, it's pretty outrageous. My last word on all this stuff is uh, what the great Vince Lombardi said. He said, uh, when we're complaining about refereeing and, um, and officiating, he said, I'm going to get into my team and say, how come you weren't good enough to be far enough in front that that mistake didn't affect us? That is beautiful. That is exactly true. You shouldn't, if you're good enough, you shouldn't even let the umpires be part of the game. Yep, absolutely. That's a great way to be able to uh, wrap things up. I don't think anyone can top that this evening. So there you go, mate. If, if, look, if anyone listening has anything that they want to add, don't forget, Love Sport Podcast, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, and be able to join the conversation there as always. Uh, yeah, and don't do ever about me calling it Saka. Well, they certainly, did get in, uh, they certainly did get in touch with my Twitter account this week. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I just have to tell you one final thing before I head off, right? So yesterday I decided I was going to be a, a social media troll and just get on sporting pages and have fun. Like not, not swear at anyone. Not at, and there was a, um, a post about Tex Walker and how Trent Cotchin kicked him in the groin and Trent Cotchin's the worst human being ever, right? <laughs> and I said, hey, not a problem. Trent Cotchin did a bad thing, but Tex Walker is just a horrible human being. So I did attack him, right? And Adelaide supporters, some of the stuff they said back was hilarious. One lady wrote in full capital letters about the kind of human being I was. So I just said back to her, hey, Margaret, can you please stop yelling them on the quiet carriage of the coach? <laughs> and, and stuff like that. I did it for about an hour last night to Adelaide supporters. I don't know why I didn't feel bad. I had an absolute ball not taking anyone seriously. Okay, so I've just wrecked our podcast. Anything else, boys, before we head off? <laughs> no, before you get into Twitter jail again, I think it's probably time that we wrap things up, my friend. Well, guys, I always appreciate. Um, I know how busy you are. Tonight was a bit of a different pod. So we're going to actually put up some questions on our podcast channel this week about some content you guys want us to cover. For example, what is John doing in the back of his house right now? Hey, what was that? I missed that. <laughs> we're keeping that in the podcast. We wanted to know what you were doing in the back of your house right now, mate. Um, uh, Lou's actually putting the dishes away and I'm standing here trying to get some charge in my phone on a moon boot. Gay Lou. Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> Guys, this has been the Love Sport Podcast. We'll touch base with everyone on social media this week. Uh, if you have any ideas for what you want in the podcast... Um, we used to do Kiss, cut, uh, Cuddle and Kick. We used to do The Good, Bad and the Ugly. We'll bring back a couple of those for next week's podcast. Love Sport Podcast out. Hey, guys. Thank you for putting up with that uh, sham. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Love Sport Podcast. You can get me at Paul underscore football on Twitter, John at Lambic Peach, and Pete at Pete Novikowski. You can get us on the Love Sport Podcast on Twitter and Facebook as well. And we also have a group where you can join in the discussions on Facebook. So just put a request in, we'll add you in, and uh, you can start the discussions with us. This is, was, and always will be the Love Sport Podcast. <laughs>